Promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by Citizens Bank and the Associated Builders and Contractors of Eastern Pennsylvania. This is the Growing Greater Philadelphia podcast, bringing you more of the interviews and stories from the Growing Greater Philadelphia radio program. Now, here is Matt Cabry. So disruptors. Greater Philadelphia is often known as a community of innovators and disruptors. And we here on Growing Greater Philadelphia are really excited to welcome what I would call two disruptors in a therapeutic space that is um, needing a little disruption. So we're really excited to welcome Bethany Edwards and Anna Courtier Simpson, who are co-founders of a Philadelphia-based company called Leah Diagnostics. Bethany, it's great to have you. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. And Anna, it's great to have you as well. Thanks for having us. Sure. Bethany, I want to start with you, if I could. Take us on the journey of how you and Anna met and how you decided to come up with this new initiative to disrupt the reproductive space. (laughs) Why don't you tell us a little bit about Leah Diagnostics? So Leah Diagnostics has developed and is commercializing Leah, which is the first flushable 100% biodegradable pregnancy test. And I'll speak to your earlier question, which you asked, how did we meet and how did we kind of start on this journey? So this was part of my research while I was at the University of Pennsylvania, receiving my master's in integrated product design, which is where I met Anna. So we were both in that master's program. And um, it really started more from the sustainability side and this idea that single-use diagnostics are only used for a couple of minutes, but the materials that they're made out of far outseed the life cycle of the product. So nitrocellulose, glass fibers, plastics, all of these things are contained in single-use diagnostics, but then they're immediately thrown away. So we wanted to bring new materials to replace plastics, and we also recognized that there was a pretty big gap in the at-home pregnancy test market. You know, no one had innovated in the form factor in over 30 years. It was the same stiff plastic stick. So we wanted to change that, and after speaking with hundreds of women, one-on-one focus groups and surveys, we really learned that there was also an unmet need around privacy. So it was an overlap of sustainability, privacy and the ability to change the the market yeah really transform an industry that that hasn't really been paid attention to in a long time yes exactly so and i want to turn to you is this something that evolved because you know bethany just shared that you were in a class together at the university of pennsylvania and is it something that kind of struck you or it kind of evolved over time and how did you ultimately come to this place of hey i have an idea So um, I actually remember sitting in class when Bethany pitched the idea. We were in an ideation session in a design class, and there were a lot of different avenues on the sustainability and healthcare side that Bethany was looking into. And when she said flushable pregnancy test, everybody in the class Mm -hmm. just said, of course. I mean, it's the type of product that you can't believe it didn't exist already. Right. And in my mind, that means it's the type of product that really deserves to exist in the world. Right. Now, just to challenge that for a moment, did everybody say, of course, a flushable pregnancy test? Why not? Or is it something that's more specific to gender? Mm Because I don't know if the average male is thinking, you know what? That's the first thing we need. 
Yeah. I mean, it really varies. Yeah. So for some men, I guess, yeah, uh, sure. they get it right away. And right. for others, it takes a little bit more of explaining. But, you know, I've always kind of led a little bit more with sort of the technology innovation as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what we're doing, it doesn't just apply to pregnancy tests. It can be used for other additional diagnostics. And so being able to explain it in a broader context, I think, is is also really helpful. The idea of just completely eliminating nitrocellulose and, and having a completely different way of handling these single-use diagnostics is also one of the ways that, that we've been able to describe it that just makes it very much on the technology side. Yeah. Take us, Bethany, back into that ideation room that Anna had mentioned. Is it Three people? Is it a classroom full of mm. uh, 20 people? Yeah, I and think it was probably it was about yeah. 20. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, about 20 Yeah, people. about 20 yeah. people. So it was yeah. just, just kind of like, uh, you know, we're brainstorming some ideas, or was is this more of a presentation that you were required to do? And, yeah. you know, the, here's my idea. Yeah, much more of a presentation. Okay. So the initial crux of the idea started with the idea of temporality. And I kind of mentioned this before, but this idea, it came from a quote from Richard Fry. Um, he's part of the Industrial Society for America, and, and he was referencing this idea that we shouldn't be so focused on making products recyclable, but we should be focused on making them so temporary that they're disposable. And so it really started more from that initial insight. And Mm -hmm. then from that insight, we really looked at, well, where... Where could that idea be applied that would um, be of most benefit? And so single-use diagnostics, like I mentioned, became really, really interesting, um, both from the medical waste perspective, but also from the other interest on the market piece as well. And I loved how you mentioned previously that this was really about sustainability initially. And it evolved into not only sustainability, but a privacy perspective as well. Mm -hmm. Share with us a little bit more how that second part came about. Yeah, I mean, that was really from um, one-on-one focus groups and really spending time talking with women with their um, relationship and with pregnancy tests, right? Right. So, uh, you know, we heard crazy stories, everything from people wrapping up pregnancy tests and hiding them in garbage cans across the street, wrapping them in tinfoil. So also on the other side of the spectrum, women who were struggling with IVF treatments Mm -hmm. and going through, you know, tons of pregnancy tests and the reminder of having those building up in the trash, Mm -hmm. that emotional being upset um, was also one of the reasons why kind of the privacy piece had an interesting lens as well. I mean, also things around just sheer sanitary reasons. Some people really don't want, you know, peed on tests going in their trash. Um, Some people don't want, you know, their housekeeper or, you know, family or friends to see it, right? Because it's an object that elicits conversation. As soon as you open up the trash can, if it's the first thing that you see, it naturally generates questions. And so the only way for it not to be there is to hide it. This idea of who hasn't hidden a pregnancy test became, you know, really powerful. That's a really important perspective because I totally agree with you that, you know, it's not just the spouse or partner, it's anybody. It's yeah. anybody else who happens to stumble upon this mm-hmm. particular item, to your point, it elicits some sort of response yeah. that can really create some challenges yeah. depending on the environment. You know, if it's a family member or friend or, or others, uh, mm-hmm. it can go in all kinds of different yeah. directions. So it's it's a really important but understated component of privacy. Yeah. And I mean, even um, you know more women testing at work in the workplace. I mean, there's a wide variety of reasons why having a flushable pregnancy test has benefit and value. Right. 
aside from just the sustainability piece as well. Right. So I do want to, Anna, turn to you and ask a little bit about, because I'm always intrigued by this, the name. Where did the name Leah Diagnostics come from? Is there a special meaning behind it? Yeah, so we wanted something that was much less clinical sounding and something that was feminine and friendly and approachable and something that you could still hear and know that you could trust the company. And it's also, um, it's the end of familia. And in Greek, it means bearer of good news. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. Okay. I would venture to guess that the average observer wouldn't know that Greek origin of Leah. And the bearer of good news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great uh, that's a great yeah. connection. I love the yeah. thoughtfulness you guys put into that. Very purposeful. Absolutely. Yeah. So share with us where you are in your life cycle, because I, you know, I started out by suggesting that you are disrupting, you know, kind of this industry. And Bethany, you had referenced the fact that, you know, the same technology has been around for 30 years, if not more. And there's probably been certain tweaks mm-hmm. here and there over the past 10, 15, 20 years or so to size and smoothness and other kinds of uh, modest attributes to a device like a pregnancy test. But where are you guys in your life cycle in terms of when did you start and where are you today? Sure. So we uh, founded the company back in 2015. The research was done back in 2014, the early initiative on the research. And then we officially founded the company in 2015. We went through Dream Adventures, which is an accelerator program that kind of really jump-started things for us, in addition to winning Temple's Innovative Idea Competition. It also gave us like some initial momentum and and confidence. And and confidence, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, knowing that complete strangers and investors believed in the idea outside of just academia and our friends and family was was really helpful. And I think that was kind of the initial motivation that we needed to commit to doing this full time. I mean, it was a really big life decision to stop everything else that we were doing and go full time on the business and do it without taking a salary. I mean, that's, you know, some of the things on the entrepreneurship side that maybe some people don't talk about, but it's yeah. a struggle in the beginning. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so that was 2015. We did some seed funding back in 2015 after the accelerator program, some follow on and worked through a lot of the product development stuff, which Anna can talk about in, in additional detail. Great. But it was myself, um, Anna, and an amazing chemist did all of the development work. And there was a good bit of development work. There was a lot to figure out. While the idea of a flushable pregnancy test is really simple, there's a lot of things that are counterintuitive about it. Building an assay on a platform that is inherently meant to biodegrade and water disperse Mm -hmm. comes with a lot of challenges and unique problem solving and material um, challenges. So we had about a year and a half or so solid in product development, everything from unique fluidic geometric flow paths to figuring out proprietary codings to inventing a completely new way of handling the manufacturing process. And then in the tail end of 2017, we received our FDA clearance. Um, so that was one another big thing for us. And going through all of the regulatory clinical trials and doing sure. all the studies, and we set up a small-scale manufacturing line to right. make over like 20,000 devices, and we made them by hand. It was kind of crazy. Right. So clearance with uh, the FDA back at the tail end of 2017 and this year is really about, you know, brand awareness, manufacturing scale up, and being able to, to launch this product by the end of the year. Regulatory approval has to be 
a milestone moment that yes. caused you guys to say yes, right? Yes, yes like it was. Tremendous. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 Congratulations. And a lot was riding on that. I mean, you know, one of the other things that I think a lot of people don't talk about is at a startup level, you know, you can live and die by six months. Mm -hmm. And so the managing of cash is so, so critical and the managing of it to reach that critical milestone. And so for us, we were, you know, running really, really lean and operating, you know, very leanly to be able to get to that milestone because if we didn't reach it we would have had to reallocate funding back to it i mean it was just so so critical for us right so anna i want to turn to you and talk a little bit more about the manufacturing the product development perspective that bethany was referencing share with us how you go about that and create prototypes and are you doing manufacturing locally are you partnering with some contract manufacturers what's the process you went through to get from what i would call concept to reality yeah so like bethany mentioned it took us about a year and a half to develop the product as it stands today but more at a manual manufacturing scale we really had to are we talking kitchen table Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> lots of lots of kitchen yes. table. Right. Yeah. We, you know, we had to bump the status quo about the way lateral flow diagnostics are traditionally manufactured and we had to go back to the basics of what this product is and a functionality not only from a diagnostic, it needs to be functional, efficacious, 99% accurate, FDA cleared like we just mentioned. But it also needed to be fully water dispersible and 100% biodegradable. And on top of that, it needed to work well for the women using it. So we needed to look at it from all aspects and really go down to what the product needed to do for each functional component and what material requirements there were and really look outside the box and not just in diagnostics to the paper industry, the fabric industry, um, and really pulled from all of those. We read a lot of patents. We did a ton of research to become the experts in our domain on this. Mm And so it took us making devices by hand in the thousands to really understand once we had our materials and once we had something that was functional, what's the best way to make this product and make it efficiently. And so we've been able to take the product architecture and actually reduce it to three components. It's a housing, a test strip, and a pouch. And so we were at that point at the beginning of 2017 when we began our small-scale manufacturing in our office. Okay. And after making thousands of devices there, we began to look at scaling the production process. So over the past year, we've actually automated our test strip manufacturing into something that's completely new. We're the only people doing it, um, and we're the only people making test strips this way and diagnostics this way. Cool. And it's happening right here in greater Philadelphia. And I do want to pivot here for a moment. There's lots of different paths we can go down here, and one of them is the fact that You guys are talking diagnostics and you're talking essays and you're talking other kinds of um, very specific R&D related issues, if you will. Is your background, Bethany, science oriented? And how did you find yourself kind of going down this path? Yeah, great question. I am not a scientist by training. My background is actually in advertising and marketing and branding. So prior to going to Penn, I spent about 10 years in advertising and marketing. Uh, My undergrad was in that. And I went to Penn because, in particularly that master's program, because I really believe that kind of the next great wave of ad industries were going to be ones that had an industrial design component firms that were actually creating the products because if you do that you can build in branding from the very beginning there's something 
that the design of our product naturally conveys something about what it means on the brand side too. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, not made out of cold plastic. It's made out of, you know, softer fibers that naturally have a warm component to them. So, you know, I really believe that that piece of kind of branding can be baked into the product and baked in from the very beginning. So that was that was why I went there. If you would have told me that I was going to graduate and then start this company, I um, absolutely would have never believed you. Right. Uh, but I got really into the science side. I mean, when I was younger, I really enjoyed science. I collected butterflies. I had a microscope. I was like kind of a little nerdy kid. Right. But then in high school, I got more interested in the art side. I just think that's kind of how a lot of the education system is sort of set up, or at least was. And so I found that I could express myself and be much more creative on the art discipline as opposed to the science side. But once I was at Penn receiving my master's, I understood that there was a lot more that you could do through engineering, and science became much more obtainable and with something that you could explore more. And so I spent time in bio and quite frankly, I mean, read a ton of journals, a lot of the nature journals, a lot of stuff that other professors were working on sort of in the space or in a similar space. And then a lot of it was trial and error. I mean, Anna and I sat around and experimented. We cut out different shapes with a bunch of different materials. We sat around and mixed things together we baked things in our ovens like things that you probably shouldn't necessarily do right, right. Uh, i took my wedding embosser and we would like crank out pregnancy tests i mean right. it was a lot of trial and error yeah so that's bethany edwards folks uh, she's one of the co-founders of leah diagnostics along with uh, anna catortier simpson and anna What's your background? Do you have uh, a passion for science as well, or is this kind of a, a totally different space for you? This is, my background is not science, but my background is in product design, product development, and new manufacturing techniques. My previous experience was more on the luxury goods and wearables side. I decided to go back to Penn, where Bethany and I met, because I wanted to make products that really served a purpose for people, mm-hmm. not just looked pretty. But my experience made me very passionate about choosing the right materials for the product purposes and understanding the best way to make things and make them simply and make them elegantly. So in that sense, it's very similar. But like Bethany mentioned, we've done a lot of researching to learn to really understand our technology and bring our best uh, attributes to it. I love that you guys kind of met, it sounds like, by serendipity. You know, you didn't know each other until you happened to take this class together, or or did you meet each other on campus at different events, or you just stumbled into each other? No, I mean, um, we met in the the master's program. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And, you know, I think we're really big proponents of the STEM and STEAM stuff as well, right? right? Because we are designers. A lot of our background sort of stems from that. But I think that when you start to mix in science and technology, it becomes really, really interesting. I mean, a lot of really disruptive innovation is cross-disciplinary. And I think that's one of the things that it has allowed us to be able to break the mold and not be so held down by the way that current lateral flow diagnostics are made we were able to break out of that and bring disciplines from multiple different areas and i think that's been really powerful for us um, as innovators and this idea of just being so curious and being really passionate about wanting to take our ideas and see them through into a tangible reality. I think that's one of the things that has just kept us going um, and being dedicated to solving problems, regardless of whether or not we technically have a scientist's 
title on our college degree. Yeah, right. Totally. So I want to go back to 2015. And Bethany, you grew up in central Pennsylvania. And Anna, you grew up in Lancaster County. You end up meeting in University City, West Philadelphia, University of Pennsylvania, when you're both going there for your master's programs. And you come up with this great idea. You get funding from Dream Adventures. You win a kind of innovation contest, if you will, at Temple University. Other people are starting to believe in what your vision is, so you're not feeling totally crazy, right? (laughs) You had a choice in 2015 to stay in greater Philadelphia or go somewhere else. And you've chosen to grow Leah Diagnostics right here in Greater Philadelphia. If I remember correctly, your offices are at 10th and Chestnut? Yeah. Yeah. Why Greater Philadelphia? And did you ever have this notion of maybe we should go somewhere else to be closer to regulators or to be closer to funders? Or I'm really intrigued by your passion for growing your business here. Yeah, so we did have a very distinct choice when we got into Dream Adventures. Dream Adventures Health was having their cohort in Baltimore. It was a joint kind of program with John Hopkins. And to some extent, that probably would have been better for us to join that cohort. It was the health cohort. It also came with more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Anna and I elected to stay in Philadelphia and join general kind of Dream It ventures cohort they were having a women's focused one a little bit that year yeah to support female founders right so so that was one of the things that kept us here and and i mean it had so much to do with our networks that we've built up over the years in greater philadelphia area so i went you know as i mentioned to temple for my undergrad years ago and actually so had anna Mm -hmm. so we have ties to not only temple but we had ties to penn at that point and we were really growing a a strong community and a strong network here in the philadelphia area and so we decided not to go to baltimore and passed on the additional money and stayed here in philadelphia and went through the dream adventures program in philadelphia and i mean i think we're really glad that we did that you know i mean we were able to continue to leverage our connections that we had here ben franklin technology partners was also really good for us we Mm -hmm. were able to do some of the early grants through them uh, and that was really helpful obviously non-dilutive funding there Temple University's business plan competition, we were able to enter as alums and Wharton Innovation Fund. I mean, we kind of just went around and cobbled together winnings from business plan competitions uh, and took advantage of the people that we knew here in Philadelphia. Right. Well, I can tell you from a select Greater Philadelphia perspective and a Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia perspective, we're so glad that you chose to stay here and grow your organization here. But I'm also struck by the ecosystem Mm, that is Mm -hmm. surrounding you guys from Ben Franklin Technology Partners and Dream Adventures out at 3401 and Temple Mm -hmm. University and and the University of Pennsylvania. And I do have to say, it wasn't lost on me when you said that Anna also went to Temple University. It's almost like your paths and lives were destined to intersect at some point. Do you ever feel that way? Very yeah. parallel paths, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 yeah, in University Science Center as well. I mean, there's been a ton of support that we've yeah. gotten here locally. You know, it's really helped us. I think the energy in Philadelphia is also really quite interesting. There is like an underground maker community here. I think that the people that are building businesses in Philadelphia, there's this natural grit because people don't, you know, we're an underdog city, right? And so there's a really interesting grittiness that comes along with that. And it also gives you the ability to be part of shaping and defining what is happening in Philadelphia. There's a very unique energy here. 
right now. I've, I've said that for years. And it's been fascinating to just kind of watch it even when we started our entrepreneurial journey back in 2015. There's been a lot that has now started to come into the city in, in just the last like three years or so. Yeah. It's been fascinating to watch. So I do want to talk a little bit more about what's next. You referenced 2015. That was formation. That was kind of kickoff, if you will. And then you hit this fantastic regulatory milestone of FDA approval. Mm-hmm. Where are we now, Anna, in terms of what's next? What does this year hold for you? What do the next 12 months hold for you in terms of is, is it product launch? Yeah, so we're in the process of scaling our manufacturing right now, um, automating select parts of our manufacturing process. So building inventory, beginning a small-scale product launch, and then uh, seeing where we go from there. Mm-hmm. And this is an over-the-counter type of uh, therapeutic diagnostic uh, yeah. test. How do you communicate that to the audience you're trying to reach? So I think it's interesting, particularly with these over-the-counter single-use tests, you know, I kind of wonder whether the, the average consumer realizes some of the regulatory that goes into them, to be honest. Um, right, right. I think that there's an interesting kind of overlap of it also just being categorized as a straight consumer package goods. So, you know, there's obviously life science in there. There's obviously advanced materials manufacturing. But, you know, there is, to some extent, it is just a consumer package good. I mean, there's that's part of the business model. That's sure. part of it, right? And so, you know, you got to get it out there through some of the, the traditional chains. But, I mean, I think there's also other ways that we've been exploring in terms of getting the product in the hands of, of women and consumers everywhere, right? I mean, direct-to-consumer is very interesting. Amazon is the number two retailer. We've done a lot with our website in a short amount of time, meetlia.com, and we've created a decent amount of brand awareness um, and traction in, yeah. a, in a really short period of time. Yeah. And I think that that will continue to work in our favor. I mean, the fact that we can talk to women in a unique way, I think, gives us such an ability. Um, and we've designed that from the very beginning, right? I mean, even the name was very purposeful. Right. The way that the packaging looks is so different from anything else that's on the market. The way the product looks, you know, that we can ship flat in an envelope. There's just notable things that we're doing really different on the brand side as well as the product side. I think it's a huge distinguishing characteristic that this over-the-counter diagnostic was designed by women for women. Absolutely. And I would suspect, you know, going back 50, 60 years when pregnancy tests were first developed, they probably weren't being developed by women. Well, there was one. Go ahead. Tell the story. Um, (laughs) This amazing woman, Margaret Crane, was uh, actually a graphic designer, and she was working for... um, a company creating in-lab pregnancy tests at the time, and she took a tour of their lab. We actually had the luxury of having lunch with her earlier this year. Oh, how cool. It was was absolutely amazing. But she said that she was touring the lab, and she was looking at this, you know, these test tubes on the table, and she said, that doesn't seem like it's that hard. I think women are smart enough to be able to do that on their own, and she actually ended up designing the first at-home pregnancy test. Oh, very cool. Do you remember what year that was, Anna? 19... 70s, 60s, 70s. So it actually took a while Mm. to commercialize it, not because of the technology piece, but because of the pushback that Mm -hmm. she was getting from some of the religious folks and Mm -hmm. the company itself and doctors. There was was a group that really did not believe that women had or possessed the ability to be able to diagnose themselves or should right. not be able to, right? right? So there was a lot of tension. Yeah. Uh, it actually, while she had it designed for a while, it wasn't able to go to market for several years later. 
interesting. Yeah. The fact that, that women are empowered to and yeah. equipped to, to diagnose yeah. themselves with a particular situation. Yeah. yeah pregnancy. Pe- right. Like people were concerned about <laughs> right. what they were going to do with that information. Yeah. Right. Um, so interesting. That, yeah. So that's we've, Margaret Crane. Yeah. yeah. Margaret Crane. We've yeah. come a long way. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. We will be having a conversation with her later in October, actually. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, with um, Design Philadelphia at the oh, Art Museum. Excellent. At the Art Museum, yeah. yeah. So yeah. tell me more about that. Is it open to the public? It Where, is, yeah. 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 And it is designers' voices, I believe, is what it's considered. And yeah. so it's us and Margaret Crane talking about pregnancy tests, the history yeah. of pregnancy tests, redesigning yeah. pregnancy tests, a uh, bunch of different things. That's great. And I'm, I'm intrigued by that in part. And one of the things that caught my ear, Anna, when you said this is that Margaret is a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the comparison <laughs> between the type of work that you guys are doing and the graphic yeah. design work that Margaret was doing all those years ago is remarkable. Yeah. So share with me a little bit more about what you think is next. Where do you see Leah Diagnostics in a year from now and three years from now and five years from now. So, you know, Anna was speaking to this, you know, this year is really about manufacturing scale up and our launch, right? And we're focused initially on direct to consumer through our own website, so meetlea.com, and then later via Amazon. And we have had really strong meetings with retailers, so that's a that's a high probability for us into 2019. But again, I mean, a lot is so dependent on the manufacturing scale up for us, which also includes additional financing, so we're completing that right now because it's so custom you know we can't run to any contract manufacturer and just say hey make this for us right we had to create all of those operating procedures and it requires something very custom and so that's really one of the things that we're dedicated to solving this year which will unlock a ton of doors for us at that point so really focused on that pregnancy tests are are what we're focused on right now obviously you know we can do some other things like urinary tract infection ovulation tests a couple other things but Really, right now, it's about handling the manufacturing and getting the product launched via website. That's your focus. Correct. But to your point, this is a platform that could be applied to potentially other therapeutic areas, other Mm -hmm. diagnostic testing, other other areas. Who knows, right? Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And I I find that, I mean, really exciting, right? It it has the ability to transform the lateral flow industry. You know, this idea of non-nitrocellulose, being able to create single-use diagnostics that are more sustainable, environmentally friendly and, you know, potentially cheaper to manufacture from a cost of material standpoint because we've we've spent so much time reducing the overall bill of materials. Um, so there's some really interesting things that I think that we'll be able to do in the future. Yeah, That's I'm great. looking forward to it. Yeah. So we're talking with the co-founders of LEA Diagnostics. It's uh, Anna Couturier-Simpson and Bethany Edwards. How about the European audience? Mm. Are you guys thinking about submitting a mutual recognition program for European regulatory approval? Yes. So one of the things that has been really interesting for us to watch has been the inbound interest that we've been receiving from the EU, especially since the regulatory and legal passing of their reduction in single-use plastic products, Mm -hmm. right? So the elimination of straws and a few other things have um, resulted in some very interesting inbound requests from Europe. So that is definitely something we're looking at. Yeah. Once we launch here in the U.S., uh, getting our CE mark to allow us to distribute overseas in Europe is on the radar for us. Absolutely. And your timing's perfect with all this um, 
additional focus on not only sustainability, but specifically in the plastic space. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So this might be a silly question. I know the name of the organization we just referenced is LEA Diagnostics. Is that the name of the product, or do you anticipate being the name of the product, or is it going to be LEA Diagnostics and there may be several product lines underneath that? So the company is LEA Diagnostics, and then the product is LEA, which is the first flushable 100% biodegradable pregnancy test. And we're building a brand around LEA that is women's health-oriented, right? So that contains our pregnancy tests and potentially other products that would be in that diagnostic space that would be specifically geared towards women. So I had mentioned, you know, the urinary tract infections could fit under that brand or the ovulation test could fit under that brand. Sure. The platform itself remains, you know, attached to the entire company and there may be some additional licensing opportunities there, but that would be separate from the LEA brand. Yeah. And how large of a market is home pregnancy tests yeah great question yeah and i'm not necessarily looking for financial unless that's where you want to go i'm thinking more of yeah how many (laughs) how many of these are used every year if you will yeah so i mean i'll give you some stats it's about like 400 million dollar market in the u.s about a billion globally and that's on the retail side so that's um consumer side so we're not looking at any of the you know clinics or hospitals and in those numbers that I'm giving you. There's about 12 million unique purchasers of pregnancy tests each year in the U.S. So those are a few of the stats on uh, on the individual units. Um, we're into the well into the millions there. I mean, yeah. Walmart alone does about 11 million in um, units. units. Yeah. 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 And in terms of players in the industry, I guess, are there multiple ones or are there like the top three and, you know, those that we would expect in, you know, large pharmaceutical or biotech companies who have consumer product lines in the OTC space that are also carrying Mm -hmm. this kind of product that you would ultimately be competing with? There's two to three branded competitors, and then there is a pretty big private label market. Mm -hmm. Um, So it kind of depends on on how you're looking at it, but three branded players really in the space. Yeah, that's great. So, Anna, if I could put you on the spot, if you can, share with us a story of a challenge, a hurdle that you and Bethany had to overcome over the past, you know, 24, 36 months as you were embarking on this journey to create and move forward this concept of LEA Diagnostics. Yeah, I would have to say the entire summer of 2016 was a big challenge for yeah. us. We we hit a real roadblock in our development process. Things weren't working the way that they were supposed to be. We decided to bring all of the development in-house and take it into our own hands. We were realizing that partners weren't understanding the way that we were thinking about the goal and the outlook for the product and the manufacturing process. So we brought everything in-house. The two of us sat side by side, (laughs) prototyping all summer, really to turn that corner and keep making headway on the product. Um, that yeah. It was actually then when we found our chemist too, who helped us uh, on the diagnostic side. And after that summer, it was probably about six months of hard, hard additional development work just to continually kind of tweak the product and keep improving it to get you know our 99% accuracy, the sensitivity that we were looking for, and additionally continue to work towards our 100% flushability, 100% biodegradability, and begin to test with women. That was definitely a defining year. Yes. Yeah. The summer of 16 <laughs> yes. is basically what you're remembering, yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. you got to look back on we, it fondly. We had a, <laughs> yeah. we had a storefront office, and <laughs> yes. it was just the two of us in there every day. Every day. Yeah. <laughs> 
cutting cutting different shapes yeah. Yeah. using wedding embossers. Um, we hired a Drexel co-op and started taking advantage of Drexel's co-op program, which yep. is wonderful for startups. I think it's it's a really really strong good strategy yeah and that yeah as, as anna mentioned we brought all of the development back in house and it was a critical moment um had we not done that and made that really hard decision we probably would not be here today i right. mean i absolutely believe that we will we were burning money so we really had no choice but to to stop paying for everything else and just do it ourselves. Yeah, yeah that's basically what you we did. You had to adapt, yeah. you had to adjust, yeah. and you had to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, we ha- I very vividly remember we had this investor call, and one of our investors was like, I got to be honest, Bethany, it sounds like you're making these in your garage. Right. And we were like, well, Pretty right close. now we kind of are. Yeah. But close, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think it was also a turning point for us just confidence-wise as Absolutely. business owners. You know, we'd done all of this research to understand how the technology could work. And like we mentioned, our background isn't isn't science, but we've we'd done the work to become the experts in the sure. domain. And yeah. so we decided to just, you know, do it ourselves. Yeah. We took yeah. a bet on ourselves. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I don't want, I don't want that moment to get lost because you're absolutely right. The confidence boost that you get from resolving a hurdle it's huge and it can make or break an organization and and you were joking before about an investor saying you know it sounds like you're working out of your garage but you know some of the best companies Absolutely. have developed That's out of a exactly garage right. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, you've done a great job in overcoming that do you feel like disruptors in this space you know do you walk around thinking we're really transforming this industry is it hit you in that way I mean, I think maybe, but I I think there's still plenty for us to do yet. And it's really about staying focused on figuring out the rest of the problems ahead of us. I'm very, very proud of what we've been able to do to date. I mean, to take it from a sketch and turn it into a tangible, efficacious product and develop, you know, such unique proprietary coatings and Anna designed this amazing tool to hold the device together without glue. Just incredible things that I think that we've overcome, but there's still plenty to do, and I don't like to jinx anything. Yeah, Yeah, and it might be that that. moment when it's actually on the shelf, and you go in and you see, and you're like, wow. That's what I, yeah, Yeah. I I think, um, absolutely. Let's shift a little bit and talk briefly about Philadelphia, and do you think you could be as successful as you guys are today in getting your concept to where it is if you were somewhere else geographically? In other words, what makes Greater Philadelphia so special for you? So, one, I do think that the location is really well suited for startups, right? Because you can get to Boston, DC, New York, you know, North Carolina, the triangle down there. You can get to so many places within two hours and within either an affordable train ride or an affordable airplane ticket. And I think that allows you to cover a lot more ground. Um, So I think the location in and of itself is actually really a big benefit. Obviously, cost of living is notably less. I mean, we had looked at a potential deal out west and you know there was talk about moving out there but i was like honestly i mean we would have to raise so much more money to move the entire operation there and i do not like investing in things like that i do yeah. not like investing in right. expensive rents i do right. not, i just don't believe in that i think it needs to go to the product and um, there's better uses of capital right. so that 
that was a big, big reason um, for sure. And then, I mean, I think there's some very unique tax credits with the KIZ zones. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we mentioned kind of the ecosystem that I think is very unique to Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, I would really, I would just expand on the ecosystem that we spoke about earlier. There's endless opportunities for collaboration in this in this area, whether it's in the arts, whether it's in the tech field, whether it's in research institutions or the therapeutic spaces. There's so many amazing things going on and so many people collaborating in different ways that the ability to use our networks, but also continue to build our networks mm-hmm. and find the right support here has been just invaluable to us. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I had another thought. I know what it was. <laughs> Can I share it? Yeah. Do it. So, But I love how you captured the ecosystem. Yeah. Access and proximity, cost of doing business, incentive yes. programs that create yep. a more favorable business environment. The one that stands out for me that you touched on briefly and indirectly, but you actually are living it, is talent. Mm-hmm. So you referenced the Drexel yeah, Co-op. Yeah, you can, you yeah, can yeah, pull in different yeah. kinds of talent. But where I'm really going with this, actually, Bethany and Anna, is you guys. You are the talent that defines greater Philadelphia's future. You may not necessarily look at yourselves that way, but that's what I see. That's what I hear. And that's what is inspiring me, that you're able to create this business from a classroom conversation and kind of work project and take it to the next level. And you really are the talent that defines who we are mm-hmm. as a community. Well, we appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, so I, I will welcome. also say as one of our um, amazing investors and mentors, Karen uh, from DreamIt, you know, it takes a village to build these companies. And that is absolutely, absolutely true. I oh, mean, that oh, was my other, yeah. <laughs> my, other uh, my other point that just slipped my mind earlier was just the the startup community and the fact that there are additional people staying here and that are willing to mentor and just give a leg up to people that they've seen they've been in the same situations before it's it's been great to not only know you're in the same boat but be able to learn from people and allow you to grow faster because of that absolutely yeah Yeah, that's really important yeah and i and i think again i kind of mentioned this earlier there's a group of of you know up-and-coming talent here that is really helping to drive what philadelphia ultimately becomes and i think we're on that journey together and so as anna mentioned you know partnering with any of those people we've we've benefited greatly from partnering with even a you know a smaller law firm and growing with them right so that was a big deal for us through dream adventures we've been able to share office space with biomeme that was them giving us a helping hand i mean there's a lot of that that's going on here in the city and i think it's really positive and really powerful and you know philadelphia isn't as big as new york and so so you can navigate it a lot easier. And I think that's totally. also one thing that's really, really beneficial as well. Absolutely. It's a livable kind of community to be yeah. part of and a livable um, and productive ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. Shifting gears slightly, Bethany, from central Pennsylvania to Temple to a master's program at Penn and Anna from Lancaster County to Temple to a master's <laughs> program at Penn. And Anna, I'll start with you. What do you love about Greater Philadelphia? I can't actually put my finger on it ever since I got to Temple as an undergraduate. I just walk around the city and think about this might be my favorite place on the planet Earth. I think it's a little bit of the personality of the people that live here. Um, Like Bethany Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, that grittiness. But I don't know. There's a serious sense of community here that is hard to find anywhere else. Bethany? Yeah, um, I spoke about a lot of these things, but I mean, I think you can maybe summarize it 
with the energy. I, like I said, I think there's a very unique energy that's here and the ability to help define what this city becomes is really, really inspiring to me. And it's just fascinating to see the way that the city has changed from when I came to Temple, you know, years and years and years ago, back in like 2000, in the 2000s, to see how it's changed to where it is today. And that's really exciting, really innovative stuff, again, happening here. And, and there's just a unique energy. I mean, you mentioned it before, and I think this is just so exciting. Like, this is a city of founders, right? right? And I think that that still, that air still resonates in the city, right? Like, you can walk down a little corridor and you can just kind of feel it. Like, things were built here. Change was created here. And you can just kind of feel it in the air. It's just kind of cool. I totally agree with you. I really do. There's a specialness yeah. about Greater Philadelphia and that spirit of innovation spirit, yeah. that started back in the yeah. founding of our country back Absolutely. in the 1770s and even before that still is present yeah. in, in various different ways. And I'm not just saying this because you guys are sitting here. You are it today. You are living that today. The name of the company is Leah Diagnostics, and uh, we have been speaking with the very dynamic and inspiring co-founders, Anna Couturier Simpson and Bethany Edwards. Thank you both for taking time out to share with us your story here on Growing Greater Philadelphia. Thank you. It's been a pleasure for having us. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Our Growing Greater Philadelphia podcast is brought to us by many of our investors and partners, including Stradley Ronin. They're a proud investor of Select Greater Philadelphia, and their more than 200 attorneys represent private and public companies in everything from sophisticated corporate transactions to complex litigation. You can learn more at stradley.com. And by Independence Blue Cross, a leading health insurance company offering health plans from managed care, Medicare, and Medicaid, and they have over 10,000 dedicated employees right here in Greater Philadelphia. You can learn more about Independence Blue Cross at ibx.com. Check out all of our podcasts and be sure to tune in Friday mornings, 5 a.m., Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thanks for listening to Growing Greater Philadelphia.